All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And yes, we are back. It is the Mars Magazine Podcast. My name is Adario Strange with Vic Song. And this week there is a wealth of news uh developments. Uh well, why don't you kick it off? I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of still recovering from a, a couple of interesting experiences this week. Why, why don't you kick it off, Vic? So, starting off this week, we got some more news from Alien Covenant. So, a couple of weeks ago, we did Alien Day on the pod and uh you know, that's Ridley Scott's classic iconic alien series um and he recently well not him maybe not him specifically but the alien facebook page released a photo still from the upcoming alien covenant movie and what's in the still is we get a really cool look at the new lead uh daniels played by katherine waterston and she has a very She's sitting in a corridor. It kind in one corner. It kind of looks like there's an explosion or a fire happening. I don't know. That's up to interpretation. But she's sitting there. Uh, she's got a very cool Ellen Ripley feel to her with her clothing and uh, just the way she's sitting. And it looks like she's hiding from something because she's got. Uh, I think it's a gun or something hidden between her legs. Yeah. So, and here's here. Well, the, the there's a synopsis on IMDb that yeah. says. For Alien Covenant that says, bound for a remote planet on the far side of the galaxy, the crew of the colony ship Covenant discovers a dark world whose sole inhabitant is David Michael Fassbender, the synthetic synthetic survivor of the Doom Prometheus expedition. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, and the other really cool thing uh, from the Facebook uh, post of it is that it's posted with this caption, nowhere to run. So... <laughs> I guess that's the, like the film's tagline, maybe? Uh, that might be the film's tagline, or it might be like describing her situation in that particular shot, because that shot is coming from, you know, uh, when they make films, they review dailies, and they look at what they've shot for the day so they can see what it looks like on screen. So it actually comes from one of the cameras that they're shooting from. Mm -hmm. So and it looks cool. So it's like a kind of a cool... Hey, guess what we're doing, guys? We're shooting it, and it looks... I, I think it looks great. It's still got that really gritty feel from the original Alien films. I don't know. I'm really... I think it might look like they're hearkening back to what made the original series great, because not a whole lot of people dug Prometheus. I liked it, but... I loved it. Yeah. But, you know, there were some people who were... Prometheus, yeah. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like about Prometheus is that they used old makeup on uh, the Whalen character instead of just getting an old actor. I mean, the, mm. the old people makeup just wasn't convincing. And considering like how well done the world building was with the ship and the alien planet and some of the special effects, considering how well all that was done, it felt like we plunged like several levels down in terms of quality. When I saw the, the old people, old guy makeup, um, just hire an old actor actor, you know? Um, yeah. and then the other thing I, uh, along with this, I saw another s supposed set photo of a bunch of figures like, you know, like, um, 
when like a nuclear bomb hits or like, you know, basically people are turned to ash instant mm-hmm. instantaneously. And like, they're almost like these like frozen statues left in the explosions wake or whatever. And that's kind of, um, there's like a set photo or a supposed set photo of, um, a bunch of figures crawling, walking and climbing over steps. Uh, that's supposedly also from the, uh, mm-hmm. film. So I think it was in another country. It might have been Spain or someplace. I can't remember, but it's shaping up to be pretty interesting. Um, Catherine, and this is 2017, right? Yep, August 2017. So a little, little, we're over a little, a little bit over a year away. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And so next in news, I found out about a new comic book from science fiction author. I think it's fair to say science fiction, uh, legendary science fiction author. William Gibson, the what? man, yeah, the writer responsible for Neuromancer, um, and his most recent work is The Peripheral. Um, he just came out with a comic book called Archangel. Hmm. And it's basically a time travel comic book. It um, deals with a, hmm, it's kind of a very complicated plot. Basically, uh, a guy goes back in time to assume the identity of his grandfather, who at the time, back in 19... 19- so it's present day, uh-huh. and he goes back in time to 1945 to assume the identity of his father, who I believe is the president, and hijinks ensue. But what was interesting to me about this project... I mean, okay, well, before I get into that, I'm looking at the book. I'm holding it in my hands right now. Uh, the art is pretty good. Um, How many pages is it? Wow, that's interesting you keyed in on that. So it is 20 pages. 20 yeah, it's about 20 pages. Okay. And then, but that's only half of the book. The other half of the book is like all of this back matter of like, you know, drawings showing like kind of like how the comic was developed, a message from William Gibson Whoa. and some character profile stuff, which is cool. But, you know, okay, I'll just come clean here. I haven't read a comic book in a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I'm not a couple of years, a few, like quite a few years. And so mostly what I pick up nowadays is are graphic novels. And so I'm reading the book and I get to page 20 and I'm like, wait, that's it? Because it goes, you know, it's to be continued, dot, dot, dot. And then there's all this back matter. Welcome to and I felt world. like, yeah, well, I, I felt shortchanged. And so I immediately went to Google, Google, help me, tell me the truth. What's going on? What's the average page of a comic book? And apparently the average page of a comic book nowadays is 22 pages. Mm-hmm. And so I did not get ripped off. It's basically the length it's supposed to be. It's five bucks. So I don't know, five bucks for 20 pages. Okay, that's, I guess. That's that's <laughs> on the that's on the pricier side for a single issue. But yeah. um, like, it's interesting to me that you say it has, like, 20 pages of back matter and back material, because that is not typical for an issue one of anything. So, right. William Gibson might be getting some some extra love there. Or you. something. Yeah, I guess they thought maybe because this is, like, the first issue, like, they make it extra special by including all this stuff. But I don't know. For me, you know... I, you know, until I get into the story, until I care about the story as a friend and, and, and the, the, the property, you know, Archangel as a property, all of this back matter production stuff and all that kind of doesn't matter to me yet. Like, get me into the story first and then maybe I'll care. What was interesting to me, though, about how this uh, about the book is how it was developed, which William Gibson reveals in a note at the end of the comic. Mm-hmm. He writes um, with Archangel. 
It began with Mike, that's his uh, partner in creating this. It began with Mike telling me of a friend who knew someone in German television and how this person, an executive of some kind, was looking for ideas for a miniseries to be set in Germany in World War II. (laughs) And Gibson writes, quote unquote, Nazi flying saucers, I think I said, remembering the Third Reich's most holy mythological secret weapons. And then he goes on into some other stuff. So but what's interesting to me is just how, think about that, this came about as really as a discussion of developing a TV show. Hmm. That's how this really came about. So now comic books are so popular, you know, in TV and film that legendary science fiction authors are like, okay, I got to get in on this. <laughs> you know, like, wait, wait some, someone's willing to develop uh, this kind of property based around this theme? I mean, look. God, look, I love William Gibson. I'm not trying to, you know, throw any shade or whatever, but I mean, he kind of admits it in this, you know, in this note in the book that, you know, it basically came about as a possible television opportunity. And and later in the note, he reveals that once the German television executive realized what they were working on, (laughs) like the specifics of it, he wasn't really interested. But doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But I mean, if this takes off in any way, if this becomes popular, you know, I, I think this is a pretty solid story. Um, I've read Neuromancer. And the thing about Gibson is, like, I at least from my, like, anecdotal polling of friends who have read Gibson, like, sci-fi heads, he's, like, the god of cyberpunk, right? But yeah. more tangential sci-fi heads who, like, maybe they like a sci-fi TV show or a sci-fi franchise, but haven't really delved into sci-fi novels, per se. He's kind of one of those authors that are, like, this may be too deep. I may be in too deep because he, he brings up a lot of complex things. He's got a, one of the more denser writing styles. So I was wondering if that translated into the comic or is it like a comic that's really hard to get into or is the story plot easy and, you know. Amazing point because that's exactly – that was my exact concern when I – pick this up because he does have kind of this dense world building style. And there's like a lot of what William Gibson does, particularly with his latest novels is he focuses on detail a lot, you know, what the Mm -hmm. person's wearing, what the brand or non-brand they're wearing is. And just, he's really detail oriented. All I can think is, well, well, first I should note that he, I'm looking at the credits and it says created by William Gibson and Michael St. John Smith. I'm not really familiar with Smith, but I'm assuming that, I guess Smith kind of like reined him in on some of that dense stuff. And I should also mention, I think this is really important. Uh, the art is by a guy named Butch Juice. At least I think I'm saying it right. G-U-I-C-E. So, you know, we'll see how this develops. Um, speaking of which, this isn't really science fiction, but just in the realm of television, comic to television uh-huh. adaptations. I think you know what I'm about to ask you. Uh-huh. Have I you seen Preacher? <laughs> Oh, no, I haven't. I thought oh, you haven't gonna, seen Preacher. I okay. thought you were going to go on the other end of, like, Nazis and World War II and the other gigantic comic book reveal that happened yesterday. But, what, okay. What's that? Uh, the Captain America reveal. Oh, is that a spoiler? Yeah, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah, if, I feel like that's a spoiler. Um, I'm not going to say it if you don't know it already. It's hell, It's hell. torn. <laughs> it's, it's torn the internet in half. We yeah. don't know if... if if we're going to survive it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a pretty sexy plot turn that could kind of like, I don't think the Captain America franchise is, has gotten stale or boring, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's the kind of franchise that could very easily veer into boring territory. So I think that twist 
is perfect. Like I think that's that was a good idea. I had I had a feeling you would you would side on that side of the the <laughs> divide. No. I, I, okay. So and before I forget, Archangel, uh, the comic, the company behind Archangel or that publishes Archangel is IDW Comics. Uh, and again, the title is Archangel. Uh, issue one is out now. And check it out. It is a solid, I don't know, as Vic said, this is a little, a little steep on the price side for what you're getting, but this is, you know, kind of unheard of for William Gibson to do a comic. So maybe yeah. give it a try. Um, so next. Okay. So there's a movie that's going to be coming out in August this year. It's called The Space Between Us. It's about astronauts who are going to Mars. And it's not just uh, one of those expeditions to see if Mars is like, you know, exploring Mars, what's there. It's, it's an expedition where astronauts are going to go and actually live there. But what they don't realize is that one of them is pregnant and she gives birth to the first space baby. And uh, I guess the movie is about this young space baby boy and what it's like the, I guess the driving plot in, in the trailer is that his heart doesn't have the strength to handle Earth's gravity. So he's kept a secret, uh, but he wants to find out who his father is. So he comes back down to Earth and, you know, he escapes his scientific overlords and tries to discover life and all those fuzzy feelings. So I guess you could say it's a sci-fi, coming-of-age, romantic comedy of some sort. Okay, so we both saw the trailer. Mm -hmm. Like, was it, did you feel realistic to you? You know, at first I looked at it and I was like, really? Really? Well, let me, let me, let me, let me dive a little into this. And it's actually, there, there are questions about whether or not humans can give birth in space, in space. And, uh, animals have, animals have given birth to humans in space. And they're, the, the lack of gravity is actually a big concern factor because gravity plays a hugely important role in a developing fetus. So like back in the day, they actually launched pregnant mice into space <laughs> at varying stages of pregnancy. And when they would come back, what happened is, is that these mice were really kind of, they were disoriented because gravity plays a huge role in how we spatially orient ourselves. They were initially weaker, but eventually became stronger. So it, it doesn't seem like it would be a huge issue. But these are, again, mice that were impregnated on Earth, went to space during their pregnancy, and when they came back to Earth for the birth. So we haven't had, like, a human space birth yet. Also, NASA, they're kind of prudes because they don't really release their findings on the mechanics of space sex. So whether or not we could have babies in space is, you know, that's under lock and key. But this is like such a deep wormhole I kind of jumped into in a rabbit hole of everything. But I actually also found out that they had at one point sent jellyfish into space and then they brought them back to Earth. And these are jellyfish that were born in space. And when they came back to Earth, they effing hate it on Earth because they can't find out which is up or what is down. So oh, I thought you were going to be like, they have superpowers and they had to kill them before <laughs> they became... Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but they, they like come back to Earth and they don't know like how to orient themselves or even walk around because they've lived without gravity. So like the whole premise that this... To bring it back to the film. So the whole premise that this boy uh, would have real life repercussions from being born in space, like his heart isn't his heart is weak, I think, is the, the the thing that they say in the trailer. But it would actually be a whole mess of things. Like, your bones wouldn't 
develop properly. They'd be super brittle or they would develop weirdly because there's no gravity to pull them into the to the shape that like your your bones or my bones would look like. But then, you know, like tying it back to real life there, they did this study with these two twin astronauts, Scott and Mark Kelly, where one of them, they're both astronauts. And then one of them went into space while one of them, he's retired. So he was living on Earth. And NASA did a bunch of studies about how um, their bodies differed from whether their organs were different or the even stuff like whether space diets affect the bacteria in our intestines. So, you know, that premise it actually has a lot of cool and interesting things to get into, but I don't think that's going to be the focus of the movie, which is kind of disappointing. Well, you know, the interesting thing, um, talking about the mechanics of someone born in space coming back on Earth or returning to Earth or arriving on Earth for the, for the first time, uh, you have Gary Oldman in the film. I guess he's a scientist or astrophysicist. And the entire time throughout the trail, he's like, his heart can't take <laughs> Earth's gravity. Exactly. And it's just hilarious because it's like, it's the perfect trope for like this love story meets science fiction kind of thing. Um, how many, I mean, he said it like at least three times in at that least. very short time. His at heart. Least. And it was like, his heart's going to break from love with this Earth <laughs> woman. You know, it's just hilarious. I don't know. Um, Gary Oldman's the man. He's still the man. The director of this film is Peter Chelsom, if I'm saying it right, of uh, mm-hmm. The Space Between Us. So, yeah, so that is the space between us. Looks pretty interesting. And I think it kind of delves into an area that we're probably going to have to, I mean, assuming we as a species survive long Mm -hmm. enough, we're probably going to have to deal with this as a real thing. You know, people born in space and can they make it on Earth? Actually, I want to actually ask you something about uh, a different show that's kind of related. What's the sci-fi channel's TV show? Oh, The Expanse? The Expanse, right. Mm -hmm. I I only saw the first episode, but I feel like I remember that there were people who were born in orbit or in space Mm -hmm. and they had different anatomy and... You know, do, do, can you get into that a little bit? Like, just so because we, um, we haven't mentioned that show really on 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 the pod, so well, not not particularly well. I didn't watch more. Like, I watched maybe the first two or three episodes, but I, I will say in the first episode they do have some space sex going on. So. Oh yeah, that I remember. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was like, and you could tell the way they did it. They were trying to make it like this iconic scene, you yeah, know, that people yeah. will remember. Like, and I was like, eh, yeah, okay, that's well, nice. It's it. I have a little um, of a dilemma because the expanse is based on a book series, and and usually when you adapt books into TV, I try and read the book before I watch it. So I watched a couple episodes, and I was like, oh, it's a book series. Ugh, I should I should go and read the book, and then I just never got back around to it, which is my bad. And then wait, so this is a book series that came before the TV show? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So it's getting confusing because what's happening is they're putting out a lot of TV shows, and then what they do is they take the art. You know, like the promo, the promo art from the TV show, slap it on the cover of the novel. And then you have to be an, an investigator to figure out, okay, did the book come first? Did the TV show come first? And, you know, cause I don't, I, I'm not a fan of reading books based on a TV show, meaning that came after the TV mm-hmm. show. Like I'm not a fan. Like I, I'd rather yeah. read the source material that came first. Yeah. So yeah. So the expanse I, I felt like was an interesting attempt at showing what would a community of people born in space yeah, because they were like physical characteristics. They were like yeah. like taller, thinner. Um, there's, they were. Um, there's another show that that also deals with that. I know. I don't think you've watched it because it's from the CW, and it's a bit uh, <laughs> it's a bit teeny in in that sense. But the 100. 
I've, I've seen half a show. No, no, no. Yeah. I've seen, did I see a whole show? I saw three quarters of a show and then, uh, the CW virus was infecting me and I had to it's, move away. It's very, it's very, um, there's a lot of like drama on that show, but the, the interesting parts of it, the interesting sci-fi bits of it is that there are people who are on a colony in space versus, because there's like a nuclear kind of fallout on earth and there are people who have been left behind on earth and there are people who are, um, in space and they kind of evolved differently. So they have differing, uh, they have differing abilities to handle radiation. So that's also an aspect of it where like the people in space, because in space you're exposed to a lot more radiation, they have a different tolerance than some of the people who were left on earth who tried to shield themselves from that. But everyone's still beautiful and have, and they have perfect smiles incredibly beautiful and they're even made more beautiful by like artistic smudges of dirt on their face uh, you know the strategic dirt on face uh work is pretty amazing i have to give the cw uh props there <laughs> so yeah so these are early looks at what it might be like to be someone born in space and then trying to, I, I think it's going to be a lot uglier i think we're going to have kind of job of the hut situations going on here like i mean no seriously i mean it's like Gravity is serious. I mean, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, it's it's totally serious. And, you know, a lot of the times when uh, the the rat mothers who had babies. The rat mothers? Yeah. The rat mothers? Yeah, the rat mothers. The, the rat, rat mothers. mothers. This okay. is extemporaneous speaking on my part. But <laughs> rat the rat mothers. Mo- the, the rat mamas. The rat mamas who Hold came on, back. Hold on. I'm going to look for that. Uh, dot com. <laughs> One second. I'll be right back. Ratmother.com. Sorry, go ahead. So the rat moms, uh, when they came back, it, like space pregnancy was a, actually a lot harder on the moms than it was for for the babies. Which bringing it back to the movie, uh, the it's not it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailer. But the mom who gives birth gives birth the astronaut who gives birth to a magical Mars space boy uh, is she dies because oh, wow. she can't handle giving birth in space. So you know, tough for the ladies. Was it the uh, Mile High Club? Million Mile High Club is what the that might be the follow up or, you know, kind of like a sequel. Anyway, so that's some of the news bits that happened uh, that passed by us this week. Now let's get into the main topic of this week's pod, and that is the release, the launch of the latest installment of the X-Men franchise, X-Men Apocalypse. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built will fall! And from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. I've never felt power like this before. So that is a quick audio snapshot of what Marvel is bringing in the latest X-Men installment. Uh, it's, I don't know. I feel like at this point with the whole X-Men thing, we're, we're spinning our wheels on this whole uh, mutants versus humanity theme. I, you know, I'm a huge X-Men fan from childhood. I remember Apocalypse. I remember a lot of the characters. Oh, well, okay. Before we get too far, I want to note 
that they gave they gave us like younger versions of some of the characters we already know. So we have Sophie Turner from uh Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. What's her well, I was trying to think of her name in Game of Thrones though. Sansa Stark. Sansa Stark, right? Um who's now taking back her swag, her uh her Stark swag or whatever. She plays Jean Grey, the psychic or the uh psionic energy mutant. Uh, we have Ty Sheridan, who plays Cyclops. He's the guy with the, you know, kind of force beams out of his eyes. Uh, we have uh, playing Kurt Wagner, a.k.a. Nightcrawler. We have Cody Smith McPhee. And I'm a huge fan of that character. Um, and it looks like they got him right just, you know, from what we've we've seen in the early looks. And then we have Ben Hardy playing Angel. He's the guy with the wings. And we have Ag- Alexandra Ship uh, taking on the role of Storm which was previously played by Halle Berry. Yes. So we get a whole new look and wait, we also have, so (laughs) this isn't like a new look. This is like a new character. And this woman, um, she's in the newsroom. Um, yes. Sila. Who's that's played by Olivia Munn. Right. What do you think about that character? Uh, well, she's in the comics. She's, I think she's big. If you not big, but you know her, if you read the comics frequently, which, you know, there's too many X-Men comics, so I'm not super caught up on all of the different characters. But I'm not a big Olivia Munn fan. <laughs> that's, so. why that's, that's why I asked. Okay, yeah, that's why I asked. Um, I love Olivia Munn. I remember her from back in the day on uh, G4 TV, which used to be a, a tech news network. And she was pretty fun on that network. I don't know about her in as an actor. I've seen her in on the newsroom uh, that, HBO's that, newsroom. That's what I mean. Like, I think she comes across as very personable, very funny, and kind of down to earth. And like, I can dig that. But the stuff that I've seen her acting in, I'm not convinced. Yeah, it's not. When I see her in the newsroom, it kind of seems almost. Oh God, I I really admire her. So I hate to say this. I, I feel like I'm a little bit watching someone do a school play, like the way her dialogue is delivered. Yeah, um, like some line delivery is a bit wooden yeah so. so like i mean personal preferences i'm sure there's lots of people who love olivia munn who will say we're completely wrong and right. blind but right and so the upside of all these new characters or new actors in existing characters uh that i mentioned before is that we finally get so to see sophie turner do something other than you know get uh passed around westeros yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you know, what? I mean, she's finally what taking her power that? back. Yeah. Bring her home 2016. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we finally get to see her kind of be, you know, not a victim and kind of uh, taking on a, a completely different character. Um, I'm wondering, like, how much they're going to give her. Like, we, we're both going to see the film, I guess, today and tomorrow. I, I don't know. Like, Jean Grey was actually one of my favorite characters she's, from the X-Men. She's definitely mine, too. And I always feel like, at least in the movies, I always felt like she got the short stick of things. Uh, yeah. Famke Janssen, I think, played her in the last few. And it was always like, and now Jean Grey is going to kick some ass. Or not. Yeah, yeah. Like, that kind of thing. They got the look right with Famke, but just, I don't know. Just I, Also, there's a storyline in the X-Men comics called Dark Phoenix. And... I'm going to say, like, there are only a few, like, storylines that I've always, like, dreamt and wished to see on the big screen. And Dark Phoenix is one of them. And Me too. I'm just Me too. shocked. Yeah. So, I mean, you know how cool it is. So, I'm just shocked that, 
They haven't taken that anywhere. Well, they did it in, in, I forget which one of the earlier ones they did. Oh, no, no. They gave a hint of it, you may not think, right? Oh, yeah. No, they gave some sort of hint of it. And it was just, I don't know. Yeah, no, I want to see the full Dark Phoenix story. I don't want to see any little hints that she may be about to go off the rails. I want to see Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so... We're back in the X-Men universe, and once again, they are, you know, playing out this whole, you know, the superior superiority of mutants versus humans. And so this got us thinking about, once again, something we touched upon in a little bit last week, which is transhumanism, uh, the manipulation mm-hmm. of the human genome, that kind of thing. And as I was, like, looking into all of this, I stumbled upon the trailer for another film that I'm going to say may turn out to be the best X-Men film of 2016, not named X-Men. And it's called Morgan. We knew right away that Morgan was very special within a month walking and talking within six self-sustaining. She exceeds our wildest expectations. like a child. Morgan is a child. She had a tantrum. Morgan's behavior was very unfortunate. She's learning and she has the right to make mistakes. She isn't it and it has no rights. Oh, you're wrong about that. You'll see. Okay, and so that's Morgan uh, starring... uh, Pilcher. Did you see Pilcher in that I did. Uh, trailer? I saw Pilcher in, in the back. In is the that back. Toby Jones? Is that his real name? Toby Jones. I think his name is Toby <laughs> Jones. And I was like, Pilcher. Yeah, Pilcher's in it. He's one of the evil scientists. Uh, so Morgan is basically what it appears to be is a story of uh, basically an, an artificially created uh, gene manipulated human. They bring in some sort of consultant, I guess, because things aren't going right with Morgan. Morgan appears to be a young woman who grows rapidly and I guess has some sort of powers. They're being very mysterious with what Morgan can and can't do. One thing that was interesting is in the trailer, they have this hood on mm-hmm. Morgan and they almost make it seem like Morgan is this monstrosity, like they've created this monster. But if you look at like um, like outside of the trailer, if you look at some of the promotional material, you can clearly see it's just a normal looking woman so mm-hmm. or young woman. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess that was just part of like the mystery. Yeah. Trailer magic mystery. Wedding um, the appetite. Yeah. Wedding the appetite. But what's interesting is like as you move through the history of Hollywood through film, what you'll see is, you know, often uh, screenwriters will, I guess, presage, you know, kind of build up the story of reality before it comes into full fruition, you know? And so you're beginning to see more of these artificially manipulated human stories. And, and X-Men is kind of like, although that has existed for decades now, you know, that's kind of like the, the soft kind of like really whatever cartoony version of that story. But this is really, it looks like this is what the X-Men story would really be like if it was real life. And by the way, mm-hmm. it's interesting, the trail, both trailers, this is just, I don't know, some quirky thing I, I noticed. The trailer for the X-Men, for X-Men Apocalypse opens with Xavier's mansion and Morgan's trailer opens with 
a similar mansion. Like, I, like I'm wondering if this is like some sort of like, you know, wink nudge from the filmmakers. Like, hey, guys, this is the real X-Men story. I didn't um, notice that. Nice catch. Yeah, that's the very first scene. It opens on like this like old, like stately manor, I guess, where she's supposed to be, you know, located in this. Uh, they have her like in this concrete bunker. Um, so you saw the trailer. What'd you think? I am super excited to to see it. I think it looks really cool because, like you mentioned, uh, I really like the X Men. Uh, but you know, they're kind of like the how do you say like the poster, not the poster boy because there's female X Men, but um, the poster look for mutants in in at least in the sci fi conversation that we're having these days. So I think it was like a nice darker look at what how it could go wrong. Kind of reminded me of uh, what's that film also with Oscar Isaac um, that just came out Ex Machina. Oh, Ex Machina, yeah. Yeah, it kind of gave me the same feel as Ex Machina as to, you know, somebody comes in, looks uh, at something ungodly that we've done to something in regards to, like, humanity playing the god role. And uh, kind of the scary side of it, like the underside of it, because a lot of times when you see people talking about these new gene therapies or human uh, genetic manipulation, they're talking about the positives, the sides, uh, like how we can progress hum- humanity forward by doing all this stuff. And I, it's nice to get a, it's nice to get a cultural look, I guess, about how it could possibly go wrong or the things that we're maybe not talking about in the name of scientific progress. Yeah, and it's directed by. Luke Scott. He's the son of Ridley Scott. And this is his debut film. This is his first film, first full-length film, uh, feature-length film. It also stars Kate Mara, uh, who you may know from, or who some of you out there may know from House of Cards. So yeah, so I, I when I saw this, when I stumbled on this, I, I thought, wait a minute, this is the real X-Men. This is what a, a real mutant would likely go through if we noticed like real changes and abilities and, you know, some sort of enhanced, you know, physical uh, attributes. So let's kind of like maybe connect the two and we can talk about X-Men, but, you know, I kind of wanted to bring up Morgan just as kind of like possibly the real X-Men film that you need to watch and not this, uh, I don't know, comic book spectacle. I'm getting a little tired of the X-Men to be honest at this point. Well, you know, uh, I think, so let's just take X-Men back a step and let's get away from from the the real like spectacle of all the powers because you know like the X-Men takes it in, in kind of a land of fantasy powers as to like what people can like realistically achieve through genetic manipulation like I don't know if we're ever going to be getting to the point where we can control the weather just from a genetic manipulation if you get what I mean right but um so like when you think about the X-Men the premise for some of you non-comic book heads is that uh, they have the X gene and this gene is like the mutants are people who have basically evolved to the point where this gene is unlocked. Like, we have this gene that gets unlocked and it manifests into, like, different powers. So, they have a particular gene that is expressed and, like, normal humans like me or you don't. So, they get all these special cool powers that manifest in all these different ways. And we're just average Joes. And that idea isn't necessarily fiction. Like, there are, we do have dormant genes in our, in our, in our bodies. And I think, like, a couple, maybe 10 years ago, like, researchers were, like, poking around with chickens, like the chicken <laughs> genome. They were just poking the chickens. Oh, man, the, the most uh, astute, uh, high-level reference you could possibly come up with. 
Chickens! Yes, I'm sorry. Anyway, but they were poking around the chicken genome, and they unlocked this chicken genome that gave them teeth. It gave chickens teeth, because chickens don't have teeth. Oh, wait, I remember this. Yes, yes, yes. Chickens don't have teeth, so it gave the chicken teeth. So it's like the idea that we have these dormant genes in, in our bodies that could potentially be unlocked to give us something. That's not necessarily, you know... I think there are scientists out there right now who are experimenting and exploring with these ideas that we could go into the human genome and unlock these things ourselves. Like, uh, I unlock think unlock was- the chicken teeth <laughs> power. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> well, 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 well. Uh, when it comes to humans, though, I think they found a gene that would potentially give us Wolverine powers. Not like the adamantium claws, because he didn't give them him to himself, but, you know, his ability to, to heal, like, uh, super well and super fast. Uh, humans have that when you're... Or, like, lots of young animals have it when they're young, but then at some point, after a certain age, it that gene sort of shuts off. So they were, like, poking around with rats. And what they found out was that... That when they were trying to like cut toes or cut parts of their ears so that they could identify these mice, they would actually grow back no matter what they did. So they're saying like, oh, maybe humans also have this same gene that we just get shut off at some point. But if we could keep it on longer, maybe we could all be a little more Wolverine-y, you know, never age. Never age, heal from all uh, injuries and, and physical maladies. Regrow um, limb. Regrow limb. So, I mean, we, well, first of all, let's let's rewind before we move too far away from X-Men. When we talk about the X-Men, like this whole notion that they keep pushing forth of mutants versus regular humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, this seems to resonate on some level. I mean, do we feel like this is the real, like if like once, I think it's inevitable that we'll eventually have, you know, enhanced, you know, next level humans who, you know, through whatever selection, be it, you know, in some China laboratory or German laboratory or American laboratory, you know, under cover of night, various, you know, gene switches are flipped. Once that starts happening, if it hasn't already happened, I mean, do you think socially we'll, we'll begin to like break down into this kind of, you know, the, this world where it's like, you know, mutants versus regular people and mutant rights and. Uh, I'm not sure because actually I think it is happening now. Like you and I are mutants compared to our parents. We're all mutating at any one given point in time. But there are, like, there's actually this kid who has super strength because he mutated in a way that uh, he doesn't produce a protein that limits muscle growth. So he literally has, like, larger muscles than anybody and is, like, it's not like he can lift a car. He's naturally stronger than other kids his age just because he doesn't have a protein that limits his, his muscle growth. Or there's, like, other athletes or like, do you know that guy, uh, that Japanese guy who eats all the hot dogs at uh, the Coney Island hot dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like a genetic... Disgusting, by the way. It Horribly really, disgusting. It's really gross. But he's got a weird genetic mutation where his stomach is kind of in the wrong place. So it lets him eat a crap ton of food. Ew, ew. So, like... <laughs> In a weird way, the X-Men, like the proto-X-Men, they exist right now. It's just the X-Men generally, or at least the ones that are like focused on, generally have positive mutations or, or cool mutations on some level. And we're not really thinking about the, the terrible, you can't possibly survive because you've mutated in a really not so great way 
type of mutations. But to your point uh, about whether I think we'd, you know, kind of break down as a society, I don't think so, because I think we're all actually mutating at the same time. It's just whether some people will be able to mutate faster. Due to- well, no, no, no. I'm talking about the ones where it's not natural mutations. I'm talking about the ones that are, you know, uh, artificially mm-hmm. uh, enabled, uh, as you say, unlocked by, you know, some rich parent or parents, you know, around the world. And just very subtly over the course of like maybe one or two decades, you begin to notice these differences. You know, uh, you know what was Hitler's uh, dream was to create this super race, but the technology, I mean, wasn't yeah. really there. And we're getting to the point, you know, big, you know, if you kind of call back to your story that you brought up last week about synthetic uh, genetics, mm-hmm. we're getting to the point where creating a so-called super race is not unrealistic. And so I'm just I'm beginning to like wonder if like this whole X-Men universe that they keep pushing forth is really just a pop culture warning, you know, like an early Mm -hmm. warning signal. Okay, yeah, this is just a comic book and look at all these silly powers. But when you have enhanced humans, is, is there like kind of like this future social breakdown where you know, it's us versus them. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're right. If, if we were to allow to like organically, <laughs> organic mutate, uh, organically mutate into something like that, then I think maybe that wouldn't be a huge social issue. But if we're, if we're taking money into the equation and having people artificially mutate humans going forward, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be chaos in the streets because I want powers. Like, don't you want powers? (laughs) I for sure want powers. I like to, I'd like to think I have powers, the power to read a barista, the riot act when my order is wrong, the power to stay up two nights in a row when I have to edit something that is on deadline. There's actually, well, speaking of this, there are people who are known, like supposedly genetically predisposed to be able to only need like four hours of sleep. But the problem with these kind of scientific discoveries is then suddenly everyone wants to claim, oh, well, you know, I'm one of those people. I haven't been diagnosed, but I know I only need four hours. And then you have these other people who are like uh, they hear about Asperger's syndrome that where they're kind of socially awkward, but they're, you know, kind of geniuses, like stealth geniuses. And now now you have this thing over the last like five, 10 years, suddenly you ha- like everyone who's slightly awkward and a little bit clever is suddenly saying, yeah, I think I'm a little bit Asperger, you know, like, yeah. So like, this is kind of like this. I feel like those are kind of like the, the early rumblings of people kind of trying to like classify themselves as like other or somehow elite. Uh, but again, that that's naturally occurring stuff, you know, I, you know, but with the stuff where where you're actually manipulating or you are being manipulated uh, in the womb and then you come out and you're part of this new class of human. Yeah, I think I think we'll probably um, we'll, yeah. we'll probably have some problems. Well, yeah, no, that that reminds me of another classic sci fi film, uh, Gattaca. Have you right? Yeah, yeah, or, you know, yeah I've seen that. Yeah. Like, if you haven't seen Gattaca, you should go see it because it's really great. But, you know, you have a society that's just divided into people who genetically uh, engineer their kids to be perfect and kids who are born kind of like 
I don't know, like by random, I guess the, the main character is just like my parents, what were they thinking? They just had me without having me engineered. Yeah, Ethan Hawke is yeah. the, the, the non, uh, advanced species, the, the non advanced human. Yeah. I mean, he, he goes through great pains to like keep up this ruse that he is among the advanced human class and like he collects, uh, hair samples, skin samples. Uh, he draws blood from, well, basically he has a friend who, I can't remember if they had some sort of deal or he's paying him or whatever. What's his name? Uh, Jude the actors. Jude yeah, Law. Jude Law is the perfect guy. Of course, Jude Law is the perfect human. <laughs> yeah, um, dreamy, right? Do you, do you think he's dreamy? No, I do not. No? Anyway. Okay, you're not, you're not, you're not on that train. I'm not on that train okay. at all, but. All right. But, you know, a lot of women think he's dreamy. So anyway, uh, yeah, the, the guy sells or gives Ethan Hawke, you know, his, hair and skin shavings and he's able to keep up this ruse uh for years because he wants to be in the space program and you're not allowed to be in the space program unless unless you're one of the perfect humans and uh toward the end um he gets his wish yeah i think if we're going to go into the field of genetic manipulation where you know we are proactively manipulating ourselves then i think we're we can get something i think along those lines where society becomes extremely stratified to the people who can afford these ridiculous, uh, not ridiculous, but who can afford these expensive gene therapies and people who can't. And, you know, anytime, I think we've talked about it in some, on some level in an episode before, like you're kind of creating inequality in terms of like your genetics. So you're bringing inequality to a genetic level, whereas you're completely taking the socioeconomic part of it and just inserting that into your genes. Yeah, no, on that level, I think the whole X-Men story, at least the one that they're playing out in movies, in the recent movies, is that X-Men are kind of this oppressed class. And they're kind of like, even though they have these superpowers, they're somehow a minority-like, you know, uh, group where they're kind of like underfoot of humanity. But I think quite the opposite would probably be the case. I think mm -hmm. they would actually naturally be the elites. And I mean, if they actually had powers anywhere near, even if, if we're just talking physical powers, not necessarily shooting beams out of your eyes or anything like that, even if they were just like physically enhanced in some way, I think they'd naturally become elite rather than this oppressed class. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, the 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 pretense that you have Charles Xavier and he's like, we shall only use our powers for good and, you know, to help and mend society and humanity. I think the reality is that you get more people falling along Magneto's line of thinking of like exactly like you say, yeah, we got powers. We're the elite ones. Why why are these normies, these normal people? Like, why do they get to run the government? Why do they get to be at the seat of everything? So I think probably the Magnetos of the world would always win out over the Charles Xavier's. But that just might be my pessimistic look on life. So Yeah, and, and I also, not to keep bringing up Hitler, but I, I really do, whenever we talk about this kind of stuff, I always think about concentration camps, you know, labeling people, you know, because that's what Hitler did with uh, the Jews, in Germany and elsewhere, he put them in concentration camps and, and, you know, gave them, you know, tattooed numbers on them. And, and I'm wondering, like, if that's kind of is, you know, I feel like maybe we should at some point dig into the history of the writers. I believe the X-Men, uh, started in the sixties. I could be wrong, but sixties, early seventies. And I'm wondering if that was part of the inspiration for some of these storylines of this kind of like oppressed class. 
because uh, and actually in the movie series, if you look at Magneto, like that's mm-hmm. part of his motivation is that, you know, uh, I believe he was like part of like some sort of oppression, like Nazi oppression. So am I right on that? Am I wrong? Yeah, Do you remember that? Um, Magneto's a Holocaust survivor. Right. You know, so, so I feel like there are some parallels that they're trying to draw here, but I I feel like there's something not quite right here because if. Again, if, if they, if you do have mutants with superpowers, I do think they'd be the elite class. What I, what I think is more likely though, is that if like you have two scenarios, if it was naturally occurring mutations, I do think that that would be probably an oppressed class because, mm-hmm. you know, look at people who are, you know, so-called you know, considered disabled. Um, they are largely an oppressed class. They, you know, you, you have to fight to get them the right to have ramps and special access you know, to buildings and that kind of stuff. So if, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, sure. But if you're talking about parents who are in the womb manipulating, you know, the genes of their babies so they can be faster, smarter, taller, stronger, have this color eye, you know, that color hair, that I think is probably going to turn into some sort of class and and I I can't believe that's not already happening. I'm sorry. I believe. So. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Conspiracy theory time. I believe it's already <laughs> happening somewhere in Asia. What do you think? Um, I don't know if it's already happening somewhere in Asia, but it's definitely the technology is already happening because gene therapy is is it's a real thing. You know. Um. You know. We have scientists who are basically. Uh, saying things like, well, you know, 8% of your genome has already been manipulated and recoded by viruses that you and I just catch from, you know, other sick people who don't stay home when they're sick, you know? Uh, That's my short rant against people who don't take care of themselves (laughs) and come into the office sick, spreading germs everywhere. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But uh, just to get back on track. Stay home. You're not a hero. Don't be a hero. Stay home. Keep the virus at home. You can telecommute. It's not, it's not that serious anyway. um, (laughs) um, Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're finding ways to take these viruses, neutralize the sick part of it, and then carry on like things into the, the virus I'm such a great explainer. Anyway, um, you know, like carry on like a recoded thing so that they inject you with the virus and there you have gene therapy in your cells. So like there's this idea, this is kind of like bordering on medical science fiction, but not really fiction because we're starting to develop the technology for this where let's say you're sick. And it's because your genes are, you've got one whack gene. Because all it takes is one gene to be whack for you. Pause, pause, pause. Whack being a not good gene? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. Just just making sure. Okay. The whack gene. Yes, the whack gene. So let's say you have a whack gene, right? Right. And it's not, you know, uh, you have one gene that's messing up life for you and it's giving you a lot of illness and, and misery in your life. So the idea is that you'll be able to go in, inject something and fix that gene. And all of a sudden, bada bing, bada boom, you're a normal human again. So you know, they're, they're working on that. And a lot of people are saying that's the future of medicine to go away from, from drugs and to actually manipulate your, your, your genes that way. And it's going from like these really obscure diseases that happen in like one in a bajillion people. And that's a scientific number, bajillion. Yes. I am aware of the bajillion number. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) one in a bajillion people to things that would be nice. So like things that are necessary to cure and then things that are, would be nice to cure. Like, I've got really crappy eyesight. 
you know, the idea is that maybe, you know, with gene therapy, you could somehow inject my eyeballs to be less crappy and it would fix themselves to, to see things or, you know, more realistically with something like cancer where, you know, you have got a faulty gene that's giving you cancer, then, well, blurp, you've been injected and now you're cancer-free. Yay. Right. And I'm wondering with the film Morgan, I mean, we don't know much about the film, but it seems like this is maybe like a human laboratory that the government created. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, something's gone wrong. And Kate Maris brought in, I don't know, to counsel her or to kind of like tell her to get on the right foot or whatever. I'm I'm very interested to see like how they play out. Like, and like you said, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, Ex Machina because it's kind of like, um it, it looks like a very closed or rather limited set. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you, it, there aren't scenes of them all over the world and, you know, I guess Morgan is the mutated or manipulated or artificially created human. There aren't scenes of her, you know, going all across the world and doing all this stuff. So it seems like it's kind of, um, what do they call it in TV? A bottle episode. It's, it's something like that. that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's something where, where you kind of keep it in one room, but this looks like it's like kept in maybe just one facility and maybe a couple of, you know, short exterior scenes. Although this all, that's all speculation. We've only seen the trailer. I, I feel like this is kind of, again, some kind of well, early, that's how it would happen. yeah, some early pop culture warning signs of like, okay, be, be aware that this stuff may, you know, we, these are issues we may have to deal with. Uh, you and I know, mm -hmm. and we will not name this person and we will not name the company, but you and I know a person who regularly referred to himself as a test tube baby. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> you remember? So I, I know like for comedians, you know, for kind of like uh, some of the wilder comedians, referring to someone like that is supposed to be a pejorative, but this person said it quite proudly. Yeah. Um, like you, it, he was like the type of person where you would like go to coffee for him. And then maybe the first time he'd be normal. And then the second time you went to coffee with him, he'd be like, by the way, I'm a test tube baby. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy, this was like part of his identity. And I guess for some, you know, on some level he had embraced it maybe you know, earlier, someone maybe tried to make him feel weird about it or whatever. And at some point, and I think to his credit, he embraced it. And I have to tell you, um, I remember growing up hearing about the idea of test tube babies and that some of this stuff was kind of like being experimented with. I never in my life thought I would actually meet someone who would be literally, you know, you know, termed as a test tube baby. And to meet someone who actually <laughs> proudly says, I am a test tube baby. I, I, you know, it really, it's one of the ultimate science fiction meets reality moments. Cause I frankly didn't know, like when he first said it to me, and this is when we were b both back in Japan, uh, not a Japanese person. This was, uh, was he American or Canadian? Ooh. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't say, let's just say he's a Westerner. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I honestly didn't know how to react because I'd never heard such a thing before. So yeah, along those lines, we may have some of these genetically manipulated people already walking among us and just not know it. Maybe you know, how, you know, there's nothing, there's no X on their head like X-Men. There's no X, you know, tattooed on them somewhere to say, yeah, I am, you know, I have the X gene. I am somehow different. Oh, yeah. On, you know, on a, on a fundamental level or whatever. So, well, you know, I don't think we're at the point where it manifests really differently yet. 
So for all intents and purposes, there. Well, that guy, that test tube baby guy was pretty weird. I mean, I think you'd agree, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah that guy it was, was pretty a weird. weird. But I'm, I'm not going to count that to his test tubiness. You know, <laughs> right, like, right. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah of he, course. He, he, he was, he, whatever, that, whatever. He was weird, though. Come on. The guy was, he was a little weird. He, he nice was, guy, though. He was nice in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Like, really weird. But in any case, uh... <laughs> I wouldn't put him in like a, a mutant concentration camp of any sort. No, I mean, no, he's just like an average awkward dude that exactly. you know. You and I know every single every single person knows that really nice guy who's just just a little awkward, and maybe you're fine talking with him in the office, but you wouldn't necessarily invite him back for a party at your place, like that kind of person. Right, and I know that he was married to a woman. I won't get into details, but he was married to a woman. And I just remember thinking, like, once he told me he was a test to a baby, and I, I don't know why he, like, there's a more medical term for that. There's a more scientific. He, re, like, let's just be clear. I just want to make it clear. He referred to himself as that. Um, once he said that, once he disclosed that, I just kept thinking, okay, so is there an issue with the child that he's going to have with the woman, you know, that he's married to? Like, is there, is that, do you need to tell the doctor? Is there some consideration? I'm sure this all sounds ignorant to some, you know, person in the medical field, but I'm just saying, like, you know, these are things we never had to think about before. You well, know, yeah, just, it's not, it's not like he's a liger, right? Where, you know, a liar. A liger? I'm sorry. You lost me with that one. What's or, that? Because, like, technically, technically, um, and this gets maybe back to X-Men in general, where mutants and non-mutants, can they interbreed or something like that, where um, a liar is a lion and a tiger and a baby. So, technically, they can mate and have a baby, but their baby, all ligers are sterile. They cannot reproduce. Is that so? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's, that's a thing about when you're... Like, let's say we get to a point where we're mutating ourselves and you have a a mutated elite and us normal people at at the other end of the spectrum. And you mutate to a point where you can't, you know, have viable children who can have children. Then we just have two different species and we've gone beyond human. Right. You know, it won't be homo sapien. It'll be like homo mutatus or homo technological mutatusness. Mutatus mutandus. You know, um, I'm curious I mean, I feel like we should kind of wrap up here, but just before we go, like, what about transgendered people? I feel like, again, these are people who transition into, I guess, another version of themselves. So it's not genetic manipulation. It's not mutations. But the reason I bring that up is because I'm just thinking about how they're being accepted by society as this kind of new category of person. Um, how we refer to trans, like even just saying the word a transgender or the phrase a transgendered person is a new development. Just 10 years ago, you'd call them something else that I mm-hmm. think was largely considered a pejorative. So, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a great period in human history where we're being tested and we're kind of like finding out, like, how would we deal with a new type of person? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think transgender, like the concept of a third gender goes back to ancient times because different cultures, they actually have a word for a third gender that's not male or female. But at, like in terms of the society we live in today. Like you know, modern times. Yeah. Yeah. In modern times. Like, I think I think you're right that we're on a cusp as to see where the next level of human evolution is going to go. Because 
well, uh, human social evolution, because this isn't really, yeah, this isn't really, you know, necessarily people who uh, were born necessarily looking a different way. These are people who are transforming themselves and living in a different way that many people who aren't born, you know, as a transgender, you know, or, you know, in, you know, possibly feeling that they are the wrong gender or are actually are the wrong gender. Um, many people who aren't that way are now, at least in the U S uh, having to kind of like confront, like, you know, deal with like, okay, how, like, how do you operate with these people? So I remember when I was a teen, I worked at a, a fast food joint and I remember my first manager was a transgender person, a uh, transgender woman. And it was the first time I think I had seen, I don't know, like some sort of, you know, Hollywood depiction of a transgender person. And maybe I'd seen like in passing, you know, just in public or whatever, but I had never, no one had ever talked to me about that kind of person. I had never met one. And I remember, and this person was our, our shift manager. And I just remember thinking, you know, this is a very intelligent, funny like, you know, po- you know, personally powerful person, but I could see the challenges that she had, mm-hmm. you know, just in just normal daily life. And I was just fascinated by that. And I, and like, that was when I was like a teenager and I just, that stayed with me. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm somehow more enlightened or more educated about transgender rights or lifestyle, but just that early contact made me really, I I don't know, it made me more thoughtful about the topic. And so whenever we talk about a different class of humans, a different class of, you know, possibly, you know, next generation people, I always think, okay, well, how are we treating people right now who are, you know, not necessarily considered the quote unquote norm? That's, that's a really good point. And I think, um, I wasn't trying to like come off in, in, in a way that was, you know, kind of looking down on them in any sense. Uh, but in what, I, what I think that you, you just said that kind of sparked an idea in my head was that maybe our acceptance, our greater acceptance of transgendered people is that we're moving past what we think a biological norm is. Because before you either biologically had to be female or male and there wasn't enough space to explore the intersection in between, but as we grow to socially accept transgender people, you know, that kind of ties back into how how open are we to go beyond what we are now as our normal. Like we could we could go further in, in different ways. Not just as we, I guess what I'm trying to say is as we socially accept a different normality, we may be much more inclined to accept a different technological or scientific normality as well when it comes to our own bodies. And I don't yeah. think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think No, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward. Look, I am uh of the Captain Kirk uh ilk. That is my favorite thing about Captain Kirk Star Trek, for you guys who don't know Captain Kirk, is that he would gallivant across the galaxy and he was known for hooking up with any woman who struck his <laughs> fancy whether she was green, had stripes, had antenna uh, poking out of her head, you know, Captain Kirk was the man for the job. And I, I, I look forward to that day when we're uh, at a point where it doesn't matter whether two people are walking down the street and one is one color, the other is the other color, or one, you know, has some other kind of visually like, you know, significant difference. And the other is just, you know, what we consider somehow normal. 
and no one bats an eyelash. I look forward to that. And hopefully kind of what we're experiencing in real society right now with the transgender community, hopefully that's helping us kind of slowly move there. Again, let's be clear. We are not comparing the transgender community to mutants at all. No, no, not, um, not, not at That's all. not what this is about. This is about just how social uh, constructs are being broken down and how maybe in the future we'll use the lessons we're learning today to embrace people who aren't what we necessarily consider the norm. Agreed. And with that, we will leave you uh, with, hopefully, we were both going to see X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, I'm not excited. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm going with extremely lowered expectations with the hope that when I see it, I'll be a lot happier because my expectations were so low. Right. I'm going with kind of, I'm just doing my Marvel fan duty. Okay. Uh, I must, I must put in the work to putting in the hours. Yeah. Put in, put in the work to be a good Marvel fan. Yeah. For me, the best X-Men film I've seen to date was days of future past that just Mm -hmm. the Sentinels, the time hopping. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, I mean, just, you know, Kitty pride. It was just, I need, I feel like I just need to watch that again. Just like, like right after this. I, I love that film. Um, so anyway, so we're both going to check it out. We may mention it next week anyway, but for now, uh, we have something to think about, about the next generation, the possible next iteration of humans and how we may or may not embrace them, accept them, deal with them, love them, hate them, live with them. Grab a beer with them. Grab a beer with them. Grab a beer with a test tube, baby. Grab a beer with your. Hey, I grab. Hey, that me and that guy. We had beers on the streets of Tokyo. Had fun. Cool Cool dude. And with that, we will say, see you in the future.